0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Yolele, the revolutionary African foods company. Learn more at y o l e l e dot com. This week's episode of Meat in Three is inspired by the reemergence of cicada brood ten. We're talking all about insects.
0: Some people are calling crickets the gateway bug because that's a great introduction to what edible insects is all about.
2: So we found detectable levels of cesium-137 in 68 of 122 total honey samples that we had.
1: Ah, What is that?
0: Is it tarantula? No, what is it? It's a tarantula! (laughs) Oh, and they're going to
1: eat it? No, 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 no. Listen to Meet in Three wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the culinary arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome sommelier Cha McCoy. In today's episode, we'll talk to Cha about how she strives to make the wine world more inclusive, what we should drink this summer, and we'll hear Cha's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. It's often said that Julia democratized French food and that she made home cooking more accessible. However, she gets less credit than she should for doing the same thing for wine. Julia's appreciation for well-made wine was born in France with the help of her husband Paul's shared enthusiasm. Well after her return to the U.S., Julia gained a deep understanding of winemaking, winemakers, and wine drinking. Julia offered a pretty simple recipe for wine appreciation. She said, Therein lies the science of the experienced wine connoisseur. The more you drink, and think upon it, the more you'll know. Julia wanted to help everyone embrace good wine, regardless of their background. Her approach was the opposite of being a wine snob. She cared much less about top-scoring wines, expensive vintages, or amassing encyclopedic knowledge of global wine regions than about focusing on enjoyment. Someone who's just as dedicated to wine and wine drinking as Julia is Cha McCoy. Cha is a sommelier, public speaker, and founder of Cha Squared Consulting and Hospitality, a wine experience company. She is also Cherry Bomb Magazine's first beverage director and editor, as well as a brand ambassador for the New York Wine and Grape Foundation. Cha is a certified sommelier with the Court of the Master Sommeliers. She was recognized in 2019 by a wine enthusiast as a top 40, under 40 tastemaker and as one of Wine and Spirit's rising black voices in wine. More recently during the pandemic, Chaz offered virtual sommelier services and curated experiences through her wine and tourism club flight crew. She also launched an initiative called Lip Service that provides free educational resources to BIPOC hospitality workers to help bridge foreign language gaps. A native New Yorker, she's active on both sides of the Atlantic, having lived in both Lisbon, Portugal, and Rome, Italy. Cha joins us today to talk about how she advocates to make the food and beverage world more inclusive and to share her tips for great summer wine drinking. Welcome to the podcast, Cha. Thanks
3: for having me, So why don't we start
2: with, like, tell us how you got into wine.
3: I know this question... uh... This story goes a little bit longer, or lengthier depending on who I'm talking to. We'll, we'll, we'll go for the long version. We don't need the elevator pitch. Loved. The long version? All right, sounds good. Um, I originally just kind of grew up in New York City in the heart of Harlem, and my dad really was always pairing beverages with the styles of food we were eating so I I can tell you even though it wasn't wine for him it was always beer Um, I can tell you I I did notice that at a young age that uh, we were kind of like these cultural food explorers at the time I didn't know what foodie or that term wasn't you know uh, around when I was young but I do tell people that that was something that always stood out that I knew exactly which beer my father was going to get dependent on if we was having Japanese food that day, or if we was in Washington Heights, having Dominican food, um, or if we was having seafood and he would change. It wasn't like just the stereotype of like black man drinking Heineken whenever he can. So I I think that it was interesting that he knew what to order um, or if he was just going with, with, grows together in this case in this case is beer but um what go, grows together goes together so whatever the regional japanese beer is if he's in a japanese restaurant or a chinese restaurant he wants what the locals drink and so that was something that stood out to me uh even long you know be, before i even knew what a sommelier was or knew about pairings or any of this so i do like making that as a touch point for people to connect to my story because I was one of those kids that grew up eating in restaurants at a young age and um, being very cognizant of that when I was growing up. So um, Italian food, if you're a New Yorker, you know, I guess that also may feel very easy to be connected to Italy uh, uh, in the rich Italian culture, whether it's uh, in Long Island or Brooklyn, as people may more know as a like stereotypical, those are traditional stories you may hear, <laughs> thanks to the Sopranos, etc. cetera. But um, we do have a large Italian culture in the Bronx. And so I'm from Harlem, um, just being uptown, spending time on Arthur Avenue and having seafood in the streets and just being able to connect with the culture. You know, my father would take us to the Bronx. And um, I just remember just always feeling like you know, I want to visit Italy one day and experience the authentic uh, versions of the food. And so my wine journey basically starts from there when I, uh, during my MBA, not actually moving to Italy for wine, but uh, I've relocated to Italy uh, to do my MBA in international finance. And it was kind of easily one of those things you, you knew you had to know about wine in order to order food, so it was uh, very interesting. Uh, arriving in Rome, I've never been to Italy. I've been to, I've been to London, but before then, um, and this is about eleven years ago or so, and not knowing how to order wine, which clearly was like the lay of the land. You know, I always uh, mock the Italians and say that uh, it's, wine is part of the Holy Trinity. You know, it's you know, it's a, you have the bread, you have the, you know, food, you have to have the wine and bread can be interchangeable with, you know, cheese or, you know, depending on what region you're in, et cetera. But uh, food and wine is definitely one of those um, main touch points on your We can say culinary experience or just way of life, to be honest. So, um, so there I end up picking up or being more inquisitive about wine just simply because I lack the confidence on how to order. Um, like people are like, and what will you have? I'm like, I guess I'll have what she's having, right? I didn't really know how to differentiate myself on why I didn't like this white or do I prefer reds. I didn't know anything. So, that's where my, if you want to say my, soft version of like learning, you know, kind of just being intrinsically immersed in the uh, environment of wine and food came about. And I think that's the best way or I try to get people to understand that, you know, as we talk about wine, we talk about the term terroir, the French term. And a lot of times when you don't, you're not coming from a knowledge perspective, like I didn't say I'm here to learn about wine, uh, to teach it one day or to be a sommelier. I really went into it like I'm here to learn about the people and learn about the food. And really from there, wine came along with, with that, you know, and, and so therefore as much way of how I make wine, as you mentioned, uh, more accessible, get people to connect to each other. And then the wine will kind of, be a part of the conversation eventually, right? You know, what are you having? What are you drinking? Or whatever the beverage may be, whether it's tea, whiskey, uh, scotch, you know, if you're in an area where uh, this is part of the local culture, it beverage become easily part of it, just like food, you know, so that's a no that's great yeah no actually
2: i i I had actually lived in italy as well and i think there is something a little bit more accessible about wine drinking in italy too there's less stobbery there's not as much at least to me like puffery about these great vintages there's not really like a chateau neuf de pop or um a pomeroy or you know these sort of big things that you're meant to know everything about or like you feel like you are and so and and i also like that you mentioned just because we're kind of a food and beverage show is right. Italians really don't drink without eating. And then, but they have certain very The one thing they are though is specific about when you eat stuff, when, and with what, but they're happy. They're very friendly about educating. You know, they're very polite and they want you to learn, but they'll be like, no, you can't eat that with this or you can't drink that with that. Right?
3: (laughs) Yes. Like cheese on Which they can't even explain. They just don't
2: do it. It's just a rule.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they're like, you want to put parmigiano on your pasta, they like, wait a minute, there's seafood in that dish, you cannot do that, you know, you know, but so I feel like once you're there, you kind of get hooked on the rules, like everybody else is going around cheersing and making sure they look each other in the eyes, right, it's like, you know, no matter where you go in the world, the, the toast and the eye connection has now become a thing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so like this was so random i remember learning this while living in rome and then now to see people in the middle of i don't know ohio like wait we have to connect eyes ah, he's like wow the influence is growing you know <laughs> we could be anywhere now everyone knows this is the proper way to toast because the italian said but
2: so, that's good know? right because so I, cool. I was going to ask you about how you approach what a wine experience is and i know you have these com- or did have these communion events and It seemed like to me the focus of that was the whole picture, not just the learning about wine and learning to appreciate it and know what you like and what to order, but that this was to me very much one of the things that people often miss in like making jokes about whether Julia drank on the set or was drunk part of the time was it's about the (laughs) coming together and how wine is kind of a facilitator.
3: Yeah, you know, the work. I do for myself and for others, you know, meaning I'm, for the communion. I'm I'm my own client, you know, and so when I think of these various experiential events and experiences that I put, either if it's on the vineyard or in a restaurant, how do we get people to understand the art of gathering um, and bringing that back to? like the table, literally, I'm doing air quotes at the same time. You know, like, how do we make that more of the focus gathering? And what's the hook, you know, and so the hook may be the, you know, the wine education, that's the funnel, right? You're going to have a sommelier come speak to you about wine, about wine pairings, you're going to have a chef that she recognizes someone's going to execute this uh, tradition or this food in this way. And then we're going to do a bit of storytelling. Um, But really, at the core of all it, I, I, my goal right, I end up gathering people who would probably not normally sit together. Um, I have you thinking about foods maybe you didn't expect to have with, food, with wine pairings, you know when I did a Senegalese dinner or when I came to, my last one was um, right before 2020 in, 20, in fall of 2019 in London and I worked with Chef Zoe mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. Ghana's Kitchen in London and I came up to London from Portugal to host that event so in this case is having people think about not only the, you know, in her case, she's very rooted in sharing the culture of her father through her food and that has inspired her whole business. Right. Um, in London. And my idea is to be able to get people to understand how that her food can still speak with wine, even though mm-hmm. it's not from Italy mm-hmm. or it's not from France, you know? So then now we have a more, like, I want you to leave, not with it question answered but for now you to be more curious now about food from ghana or what you decide to pair you don't have to wait to have italian food or beef bourguignon to be able to have a good pairing you know like oh now i want that french wine you know enjoy it with your fried chicken or your my favorite jerk everyone i end up saying jerk chicken a lot but uh you know your jerk chicken especially if you're in london you know you can get access to really good caribbean food so i'm sure yeah but know, i don't do know what do you pair jerk with jerk there. chicken
2: What <laughs> what's your fate
3: Oh, for me, it's always meritage. I always like a very bold blend of bright red fruits, uh, blue and black berries, uh, and then just having something that has good alcohol. Um, a lot of texts that we have in the wine world try to get most of the work, thinking that we all have one palate. All of us don't want to run from heat. You know, people from the South, they want things <laughs> hotter. They want you to turn the heat up, you know? So, so you, sometimes they they realize that the text is even written for the wrong like one particular type of person, you know, it's like, no, I don't want something that's sweet. That's going to, you know, bring the heat down. Some people want to like kick it up a notch, you know? And so some, I like wines that have a nice plate. I want spice to it too. Right. So it's not all just heat as an alcohol, but spicy notes. So that I have this Merlot that's going to really speak well to the jerks sauce, you know, but still the perfect jerk for me is something that has a little bit what we call sweet heat. You know, so I do like that having a nice uh, Bordeaux blend that can play to that but you know when you get it from California there's more sun on the grapes so there is going to be a lot more bright fruit versus it being more savory if it was from France you know so these type of things I speak of more kind of because it connects to how my palate works a lot of people if you know it's almost like hairdressers right they learn technically or even chefs they learn more technically French training but then you have to like even go back to your roots or reconnect and like well the people I serve don't, you know, eat the same foods or have the same palate, or they have another type of heat tolerance than the people that are classically trained in um, French cuisine, you know, so and who they're serving. So that's the, you know, the connection back to no self-awareness is very important in this industry, because... Then now you can be able to, you know, I could serve my mother and her friends, just like I can do an event in Spain and serve uh, everyone there. But you understand how to be more malleable and flexible. Uh, Again, back to knowing the people is, is very important. And then when you're educating, in my case. Right. So I'm trying to give an event where we're connecting to each other. There is a it's a social environment, very high touch, you know, so that's why I haven't had any. Last year, because I really didn't know how to convert that mm-hmm. virtually, this high touch feel, and um, end up pivoting and creating uh, the flight crew, which kind of we'll talk about later how it talks to both uh, parts of uh, business, whether that's travel as well as wine. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to dilute the idea of the communion, which was always very high touch and really like me having the chef being able to tell her story or their story and be able to make the connection. With the wines in person. So I didn't want to do a virtual version of that. So that's kind of, uh, I know we're kind of touching. No, no. Wow. Look, the jerk chicken just opens a
2: huge door. That was terrific. And and I think that's such a great insight. And (laughs) I want to come back to that. You know, and you're talking about serving different audiences, because it's also that you know, freedom that I think Julia was trying to talk about is you learn a classic tradition, but then you apply it in different ways and that there, there are rules which you need to understand in order to then go farther or make them more relevant to who you're working with or or who you're bringing into a bigger um, tent. But I was curious, you touched on, because you did pivot in the end to, to be able to do some virtual things. And I was curious if even though you were used to curating these very high touch in-person experiences are there things that you've learned from the virtual experiences that you think you will carry on with or are you really ready to just leave them behind
3: no i think that you know and i can bring up the flight crew so in this case you know one of the main reasons why i moved back to europe and actually decided on portugal um the same reason why you described italy you know i recognize from my travels to portugal that they also they were very similar you know so southern europe tends to be more closely related and even though portugal is physically attached to the iberian peninsula so people may think of them more of like a little brother to spain i think there's more connection uh or ideals that the portuguese have like the italians and trust me if anyone portuguese listens to this they probably like thank god someone says this you know because they really are always just kind of assumed as like you know spanish you know uh and so when you start learning more about the portuguese you know they're kind of they're not on the mediterranean but they have very much a mediterranean lifestyle seafood heavy cuisine um they do have their obviously they love the pig, you know, the areas that are close to, that's attached to Spain in this case, but I I do recognize that there is this hospitality and warmth that comes with them. Them being able to speak multiple languages is always like a big part of that, and I know we'll talk more about that later, uh, about how they actually make themselves, they got their way to make themselves Hmm. more accessible to people uh, because they want to learn, they learn English early. uh, And then this, you could tell that's why they're so good at hospitality, it's because they actually. Actually, want you to have a great experience when you're in the in the country. And after working for a Michelin star restaurant in Lisbon, I can tell you how there's no way I would have been able to get that same job in France without being mm. being able to speak French, you know. Um, but but here or in, in Portugal, there's this idea of like, you know, we have guests from. Asia. We have so many people who do not speak Portuguese that come to our country. So being able to speak English is actually just as equally important because we want to make sure that our foreign guests have a very, like they we want them to feel invited and feel very comfortable here. Um, And so when I was there, or as I am there, now that I've decreased my time um, there during the pandemic, you know, it's really important for for, for me to be able to kind of learn the lay of the land, to be a come part of what we call terwar, uh there, be a part of the culture, so that when I'm sharing that same experience with people, I made Portugal my European home base for, you know, child squared operations, if you want to put it that way, because a lot of people were traveling to Europe. They uh, wanted guides to different wine countries and i wanted to make myself available to them there uh, so i had a lot of people who did not know who i was and was literally just kind of searching for things specifically in portugal and i would host them even for like a quick tasting as they may be in lisbon for a layover to somewhere else um, or if they were there longer host them at vineyards and so that really became what i wanted group trips so like i'm me curating my own group travel group trips for people to understand how important coming on the ground like I did when I moved to Italy was very important to learning about wine. You know, I can teach you stuff from the textbooks that I learned, but for me, I wanted to really get people to feel like Portugal and places, you know, wine regions were accessible to Americans on a friendly budget, etc. And so I started promoting the idea for 2020 coming, you know, ending 2019 uh, for people to come visit me in Portugal and so to kind of remove the middleman and is one of the reasons why I relocated myself to Europe again and so I can host people in as much larger experiences of learning about wine on the ground versus just kind of in textbook fashion or me coming in and then hosting you for an event in America etc so I, that was the big promotion that I was doing for 2020 And, um, you know, we all know what happened and then it was about how do we pivot that idea. And so that's where flight crew kind of took on a new, you know, way of giving people these virtual tours Mm -hmm. and tastings is what I call it. So virtual tour and tasting idea. So I do bring people to the different regions or different countries, um, virtually and through wine um so we most of the time that we spend on our virtual presentation is more of people getting to know maybe a region of the world that they probably never Mm. thought about even visiting before i feel like that's the first hook is getting you connected to the culture the people the music what's the best hotels in the area you need to see and so is your very atypical direction of a tasting because i'm not just here telling you about this is the the soil type and all this other stuff. I want you to get the beat, the heartbeat of the areas. And so I give that to people virtually. Uh, And then when they get to come with me and, you know, in person, which I, I can say now, we are my first physical trip now in person again is going to be with Chima Travels. I've partnered with them to make the flight crew a reality again. And I'll, we're going to Galicia, Spain uh, at the end of September. So right now those tickets are open. So I don't know when this is going to yeah, go Yeah, no,
2: enough but, time. You plan know, your we're trip trying in to, September, so absolutely.
3: So, yeah. So we're, right now the ticket slots are open. Um, and it's going to be the same idea. So the same, we're going to have like a pre-virtual event where everybody gets to know each other. We're gonna do a tasting. Everybody's gonna get the same, you know, box of wines like what I've been doing already. Get people all excited about what they're gonna see in person. And then people who can't join, they can physically be a part of Flight Crew anyway and do the virtual experience with us. Um, And then those who wanna come in person, they can join me and I'm trying to warm up my legs these days because I may even do the Camino (laughs) for a couple of days. So, um, so yeah, learn about wine. the Camino you're referring to the famous pilgrimage trail
2: through Spain, right?
3: That is correct. So, um, I'm going to come a little bit earlier and actually do the, do the Camino pilgrimage. And so that's all in the works, um, to see how long my itinerary is going to afford me to be there, but, um, how long I'll do it, but I'm very excited to be able to kind of, have flight crew take flight no pun intended but um, i know i well i was going me- to meet your pun to and
2: to say help. that now you've developed this like you know wet someone's appetite primer with the virtual experience and then they can then <laughs> apply on the ground and i think actually i can see how that's a, a great combination because i think you if you have some primer or some experience beforehand, then when you're on the ground, it kind of, you get a little bit more out of it. It resonates, you pick things up that you wouldn't if it's like all brand new right when you land.
3: I feel that way. And you know, right now, everything, all the hype is about hybrid experiences and things like that. So those who are ready to go, we're ready for them. And for those who are, you know, still want to be a part and learn about wines from Northern Spain, maybe a region they don't know too much about, this would be great for them to still deep dive with me in the virtual part before we leave in September. So, um, so it's the best of both worlds, but the communion will regain. It's, you know, we're talking about way, where we're going to do pop-ups um, during this year for a smaller intimate group. It started in my apartment. And I had almost like six people, then it went to 10, then it went to 15, <laughs> then it had to go out my apartment. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in this case, bringing it back to that kind of, you know, right now, So, yeah, so just bringing it back to more of, like, hey, people just want to chill, talk about wine, learn about wine with you. So, you know, just doing even, like, meetups for the flight crew. So those who want to do virtual because they're not in New York, um, that's okay. And those who want to, like, come pick up their box of wines and actually learn um, and then enjoy them on their own at home but, you know, kind of do the tasting with me, they can do um, meet me for a pop-up at designated locations so we can talk about that. And then when we're ready to throw food in there, we're ready to open up the the community again and have tickets for sale. So that's the trajectory of where I'm going with this. But the idea is still the key word I said in the beginning, all about how do we get people still connected to the art of gathering and really just knowing how important it is to connect. You know, I I say community a lot in a lot of my interviews, but really it's because to build community, I've recognized that gathering was equally important, you know, and I feel like, uh, you don't need a you don't need a stage all the time to do that you know and I think that working small can do a lot if you influence in others in, in real time you know with me with pop-ups I've done the communion at this point in Quebec City, Madrid, London, uh New York obviously several times, California so for me the Little touch points that, that took some of that was with no, you know, Instagram following at that time and just being able to really connect with people on a deeper level from those areas. Uh, so, you know, whenever I return back to Rome, I do one as well. So, you know, that's, that's just how you really connect and build community is by, in my way, doing these small gatherings so that the community grows and on a much global and larger scale and you can connect with more like-minded people so
2: we're going to come right back and we're going to get some more recommendations and summer wine drinking from from cha and we're also going to talk about that sense of community and how cha um looks at that as a person of color in a rather white dominated profession so stay with us we're going to carry on the conversation we'll be right back
1: This episode is brought to you by Yolele, a revolutionary African foods company based in Brooklyn, New York. Yolele was founded by Senegalese chef, activist, and cookbook author Pierre Thiam. Yolele creates income opportunities for smallholder farming communities, supports their sustainable farming practices, and shares Africa's ingredients and cuisines with the world, starting with Fonio. Fonio is a delicious, nutrient dense, Gluten free ancient West African grain. Fonio is also drought resistant, so it's good for the planet. Yolele is creating a market for Fonio and other African crops grown under resilient farming systems to foster a more biodiverse, drought tolerant landscape across West Africa. Try Yolele's Fonio, quick cooking Fonio pilafs, and new Fonio chips boldly flavored with the ingredients and flavors of West Africa. Sign up for their newsletter, for recipes, notes from the field, and culinary discourse, and get a free bag of Fonio with your next order of $32 or more. Learn more at yolele.com. That's Y-O-L-E-L-E dot com.
2: Welcome back. We're talking to Sommelier McCoy founder of wine experience company, Cha Squared. So Cha, I wanted to, uh, before we talk about some of your great ideas and discoveries, I did want to ask you, and we sort of started to talk about that a little bit, about your viewpoint on making the wine world more inclusive, especially as a Black woman in a field that is, I think, to my mind, still really dominated by white men. And I was just kind of curious if you would... Kind of share with us some of the hurdles you faced and how you've overcome them or if you still feel like you are overcoming them. What What's your point of view there?
3: You know, I always refer, and I don't remember her quote exactly, but I know that Viola Davis mentioned this when she received her award, you know, that it's all about just who's willing to give me an opportunity. Sometimes, you know, at first my struggle was how do I get an opportunity to become a sommelier? Then once I kind of like check that box or kind of realize that being on the floor in a restaurant well, I really wasn't moving the needle, even though it may have gotten me where I'm at, where I'm talking to you today, the position at cherry bomb and et cetera, and other larger platforms. I recognize that what I'm trying to do is much bigger. And so staying bunker down at one restaurant, you know, and thanks to this kind of year <laughs> off, if you want to sabbatical call it that. For sabbatical. You know, and I, when I, yeah. Like if, yeah, for sabbatical in a way, you know, I've been able to rethink kind of like really, how do we, how do someone like myself really move the needle in this male dominated, white dominated industry? And so, and I, and I mean that as wine and hospitality in total. And so creating more projects and being more grassroots about what I do, but making sure that I get into bigger projects, larger experience larger experience clients, you know, that's still very difficult for me, you know? And I and I will still, you know, I will remain always transparent and honest about my, uh, you know, it's kind of like, they still want you to go where they think you should be. And when I say they, I mean the industry, right? You know, like, oh, you asked to be here, we let you go there, so now you're good. It's like, you know, I'm asking for more. I need larger, uh, for me to hire someone else and hire someone else, you know, for my company to grow, That means I need clients willing to sign checks way bigger than just, you know, paying for me, you know, uh, so I can give other people opportunity. Right. So in that case, I feel like that's where the struggle lies is actually seeing us as owners and really giving people of color equity into the industry in real space, not just a name. So, giving uh, people of color real equity into the industry, um, being not just the face of your TV show, but also possibly your um, possibly your producers, possibly those behind the scenes creating budgets, creating uh, you know much bigger part of what's going on here. You know whether it's on TV, whether it's podcast shows, whether it's magazines. Uh, in my case, festivals and much larger events. So I really do think that that's important is more about how do you know, like I was saying, sorry, I don't want to be the dead horse, but just to kind of wrap that up. Um, how do someone like myself who's trying to get larger contracts, larger con- clients so I can build my business to grow, not just pay for myself, you know, Just, when will that happen? You know, when will they get to see me in a much bigger, bigger scale, and and to have much, much larger input in what we do in this industry? You know, like the I didn't finish watching it because I really want to take notes and like really dive deep into the Netflix new High on the Hog series that just came out. Like. How much more need to happen for us to have continuous conversations about this? Um, whether it's black food culture, food ways uh, from Africa to the Caribbean to New York City, um, and then many people want to know this. You know, black food is American food, so obviously, this is all equally important to all of the all of the all the people who really love great cuisine from. America right is it's like you can't ignore what you know what role we play in here so instead of just learning from us how about you actually bring us on to create the show you know so I feel like that's more the direction that I hope we're going in and um in order for us to be able to move the needle and and, and, and be able to have ownership and yeah we're no I'm
2: really to. struck by and I haven't finished watching it yet but the high on the hog series really demonstrates in a way that I think is unfortunately not familiar to most Americans who aren't Black or aren't somehow steeped in, in in the Black community, that how important food is and that it's, you know, there's some importance of, you know, the stereotypical thing of like fried chicken or watermelon or whatever, but, but that it's way broader than that. And that Black folks care about what they eat and they put a lot of energy into it in a way that, isn't commonly, I think, understood. And obviously, if you put a lot of energy into what you're eating, what you're drinking, as you were talking about your dad and how he was doing be- beer pairings in the 70s and 80s, and that, you know, th- that's, I-, I think, an important thing to to redirect the lens by which people understand things, which hopefully maybe will be one component of opening up their perceptions of what people are allowed to do or what lane they're allowed to be in.
3: Yep. I think that's, once once you accept us, is more or less not to steal from us, right, you know, but to now actually allow us to have ownership on it. And that's what that show is giving me, you know, the idea of allowing us to own, you know, there's plenty of folks in media who probably like, oh, I can cover food from Africa, you know, or oh, I can, you know, tell the history of okra, you know, who've always been given that privilege, but yet we're not the ones being able to tell our own story, you know. And so I feel like that's the... The part that, uh, you know, why this show is going to resonate and hopefully a wave of, like, how do we get more people uh, of color to, you know, be a part of their own legacy, you know, to be the ones telling the story to other people who look like them and sharing it to those who don't, you know, because as you may have seen from the first episode, he really does have a intimate connection with the story he's learning himself, you know. When he's um Stevenfield yeah he was one of our through, first so podcast really... or
2: earliest podcast guests but um, no I think that's amazing yeah. it goes back to your jerk chicken example right which is that like your perspective on what you drink exactly. with jerk chicken is informed by being more closely connected with the cultures that um, eat it and and having maybe more friends and and just maybe even from being in New York or London or Londoner where you're more connected to Caribbean food outside of the Caribbean and all of those things. So I wanted to let's switch gears and I wanted to get some thoughts from you on what you're thinking about um, in summer wine drinking, because I know our listeners are keen to find out more.
3: Yeah, I I mean, it's we talked about in the beginning, you know, this is definitely rosé season. So right now rosé okay but that's big right so rosé is a category
2: right but there's like 20,000 rosés you could choose right
3: exactly so I really think that you know since I've been home you know in New York it's been nice to kind of the same lens that I would think about Portugal or Italy I did the same thing about the states because I was working with a wine list that was 90% Portuguese. So then I was like craving things like Pinots from Oregon and things, you know, Mm -hmm. because I just didn't have access to that. Um, And so this last year, I've been really trying to redo my own kind of connection back to the States and the wines that we have here. So um, I would tell you right now, Kelby Russell James, uh, he is a winemaker for red Newt cellars in the Finger Lakes. He makes his own kind of signature rosé on his, underneath his own name, Calby Russell James, and his Cap Franc rosé is like you know, and he I think that he is actually using some age Cap Franc in there too, but some of it is just, it's like it's like amazing. Like I, wow. I just and I can't finger get finger laces of it. New York, nice easy New York region. Yes, finger wow. laces New York wine region. Yes, and um, I, I think that. Um, People don't give too much attention to New York wines, um, but I I went up there for Harvest, the Finger Lakes region, for those who don't know, it's about five to six hours, i eh, will say five hours on a good day, no traffic, um, out of New York City and driving. And you can get there via Amtrak, et cetera, just kind of like cruising over from um, Syracuse. And and I, I do love, I'm all about accessibility in that transportation way too. Uh, my background is a civil engineer, so for me, I love the idea of being able to access wineries <laughs> like from an Uber. You know, like I didn't have to. Well, like, I it's control, certainly like, safer in, than in driving yourself, right? If you're going to go live. wine tasting. For, yeah, for sure. But or even just public transportation. This is like some of my travels uh, experiences that I've either curated or even went on myself, or you know. Just research, you know, when I was in Chile, I took the subway all the way to like the last stop and I was right outside of, you know, country, Toro, like some of the big names, uh, you know, or Casino Macau, like some of the big name producers. And I think that's something that's being, Mm. no one talks too much about, but maybe that's for me to share, you know, the idea that, you know, how do we get access literally, not just the wine to your glass, but you being able to have access to the vines themselves. And so to be in New York and kind of thinking I got to fly to Napa or go move to Portugal in order to have these type of experiences, I started looking more inward like, well actually we make really great wine here in New York. And so why not do some more exploring up there? So I've been to Finger Lakes previously a few times and this time I wanted to go up and really reconnect with them. So I actually went to, when they was crushing the grapes actually for this harvest is the last harvest Cab Franc. And so the Rose is amazing. there are some heavy hitters that people already know that's in that area, but his rosé, I would put on a list in my list of rosés to drink, especially if you're in the States and have access. They do direct to consumer straight off the of red newt and EWT sellers. Um, and if you just kind of read uh, Lafitte rosé uh, is also, that's if you like kind of, I still want to drink my French rosés, you know, as if you really into the Provence style. Um, I really love this rosé. I've really, in One of the main things here is because these two men, actually (laughs) male brands that are based around rosé. Actually, (laughs) I think that's interesting. So it's actually changing. Oh, you mean because you think there's a because they're not
2: really that stereotype in France or Italy, right? But you're saying in the states there's a little bit of a stereotype that women drink rosé.
3: Oh yes, drink pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like rosé. Well, not so much a stereotype. That's like literally what you see if you go to read any of like the Nissan's like reports on statistics like women want rosé and like that's really what they are selling to other people like this is what americans drink women's are rosé is for women and uh sweet wine is for women and for but but i am
1: right is that (laughs) true in france and
2: italy i I don't think so not like rosé you drink right everybody drinks rosé but you drink it at certain times of the year with certain foods
3: for sure. I think that that's, it's just kind of who you are speaking to and, you know, that's, and where they're located. I guess it's the moment, right? It's like, who is talking about it? The rosé. That's usually who de- who determines, like, is the rosé uh, more of for someone who is um, female, you know, more <laughs> easier. In it's state not exactly state. strategic. It's pink, I, I so it's, it's kind for of women. Weird, right?
2: <laughs> it's not exactly like strategic.
3: I guess the bright yeah, words yeah. to say that it's feminine. You know, they're just trying to say it's feminine because it's pink. You know, um, for lack of a better words. And so, um, Donna Burston, he's the founder of Lafitte du Rosé. Uh, black male worked for uh, one of the heavy hitters. I think he yeah, worked for Moet yeah. Hennessy in the past on a corporate side and black-owned rosé brand straight from Sandro Pay. You know, and so it's been nice to kind of see. He just recently had a big win. I believe Constellation Brands is now working with him. Is is he French
2: or he's an immigrant?
3: No, he's from the States. He's from the States, but he's worked with a lot of, he's represented a large amount of French brands underneath his work with Moet Hennessy. So he has this world where he was in corporate, obviously going back to France and kind of learning about rosés and obviously the wine industry and uh, spirits and, he decided to come up with his own brand. I see. So, so he's the, I, he, I've been,
2: he's like the, it's his label, but it's grown and uh, made in, in the South de France.
3: That's correct. He's a vigneron, right? So we have the winemakers and then we have, oh, sorry. He's a Negociant. He has his own grapes and his own uh, brand that's working with a local, uh, but, but that's the same, that's the same thing, like how Dom Perignon started, like big houses do the same thing. I think that when you're like one man, especially if you're a person of a color, that people were like, uh, how does, is he actually the winemaker? I'm like, but neither was Dom Perignon. They buy grapes and they make the label. That's very traditional. Yeah, no, no, I thank you for pointing that out. There's uh, many different
2: ways. And in fact, you know, the dirty secret of a lot of big wineries is very little is the state grown. That's kind of like a fancy niche thing that, you know, former dot com millionaires can afford to do but but or or and maybe in <laughs> exactly, France there's more no, people I'm... who do who like inherited the land through six generations but
3: of course yeah, yeah especially in this region right so so that's Lafitte is one of the roses I have for you to share and um, if you can't find either I, I really think that just going with a nice for me Grenache Syrah um, a blend, which we call the GSM brand, blend from Rhone Valley, uh, for me is always a perfect uh, rosé. I like juicier rosés that is not so fruity. I mean, fruit forward, but also can be floral. Can have some texture to it as well. Um, I like more skin contact than others, so I go for the darker ones to be, uh, you know, realistic. And so I don't the blush ones. Hopefully, they, they, they have they purpose on the list but I do feel like I want more folks to actually get more into some of the darker rosés which like we mentioned earlier about like Italy they tend to do very well you know if you have a very nice uh Sangiovese rosé these is like stellar because I feel like they really are the idea is like hey even though it's hot I still want my pizza you know I still want my pizza wine you know I still so it's good to have uh rosés uh to play up to that as well so we're still savory enough it's not just this blush version and you're just getting like a touch of it too um and then for julia you know i, I did come up with a wine list for her um but and, but just keeping her in mind like when she returned it back to the states and her connection with california you know this RAF wines are doing some amazing wines in northern cali and they have a French grape. The Cognac is a thick skin grape, and so it gives it really nice color. So I, I like calling this more of like a chuggable <laughs> red because it actually feels more like a rosé when you're drinking it than it does for like a red. Red. You want this one chilled, oh, wow. to be honest, and to enjoy. it. And so I really like reds What's it that called can again? do that too. So that's like my Raff wines. Double F. Women well, oh, RAF,
2: like a F-T- life. Oh, Julia no, R-A-F-T, liked it. Had a raft. <laughs> yeah. Morbid saying about life rafts. Okay, got it.
3: <laughs> so, raft wines, um, and the grape that I'm referring to, because they have whites, reds, everything. Um, They have a kunwa which is spelled C O U N O I S E. Um, that I think will be perfect for those who are still attached to the reg for the summer. All right.
2: Well, that was terrific. All right. We're going to come back. And after the break, we're going to hear Cha's Julia moment. Remember to get in touch. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf and let us know what you think about today's show or you can share your ideas for future guests. This year's 2021 Julia Child Award recipient is the esteemed culinary historian, editor, writer, and TV host, Tony Tipton-Martin. Tony is the author of the multi-award-winning Jubilee, Recipes from Two Centuries of African American Cooking, and the editor-in-chief of Cook's Country. Her $50,000 grant from the foundation will be used by the Sande Youth Project to train and mentor a next generation of food writers. Check out Inside Julia's Kitchen, Episode 69, for a conversation with Tony about Jubilee. We look forward to having her back on the show soon. For more, you can go to juliachildaward.com. We'll be right back.
1: When you flip anything, you really,
2: you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it
1: up and if you're alone in the kitchen...
2: Who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. All right, Chai, your turn. What's your Julia moment?
3: To be honest, I really didn't know who Julia was until the movie came out in <laughs> Julia and Julia in 2009. But I guess it was a very pivotal moment for me. Uh, that was the same year I also p- picked up the book, Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, and so that's a different Julia for the movie. which, <laughs> um, But in this case, um, it, it was interesting to kind of see this, Movie play out in a way where here's this American woman, right? Both in both stories, moving to Europe, um, and for different reasons. But in this case, the connection with food and this insatiable desire to like travel end up being equally important to them. And so I really connected with you know moments in in Julie and Julia when they are playing out um, scenes from her life, Julia Child's life. Um, you know, even when she like mm-hmm. struggled with language language. And how she's still kind of like, you know, again, this is like snapshots. So I, I could imagine her really just like, OK, I don't know how to say that. Let's move on. Show me how to cook it. And let's like, you know, and then I'll figure it out. Or, you know, being able to like I'm going to immerse myself into this language and because I recognize it's important and I'm really connected to this uh, as a francophone. You know, how do we really get connected to the culture and recognize how deeply important language was for that as well. So the moments where she's like struggling with language, even in the movie, so my Julia moment in this case, you know, with her struggling with language uh, and just reminiscing when I first came to Italy and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm really in a foreign country. Like, you know, like I've never Ah. been to Italy before. And the only place I have traveled, like I said, before that was um, in Europe was to London. And so I was like... I felt like a fish out of water. May, I was clearly not prepared for this. And so my actual Juliet moments is like when I'm this kind of idea of being foreign, but still, whether it's to a new industry, a new country, all of it, you know, I have, we're okay with being strangers, you know, and, and still attacking that challenge in this way. Um, and so I really think that that was equally important or how I, I get inspired every time I rewatched a movie and I rewatched the movie and, um, and obviously did some research into her books, et cetera, for uh, the cherry bomb issue. And so for the article and it just kind of reminded me again, like, oh yeah, this is, this is the type of woman I am, you know, <laughs> to, to the world, you know? So it was nice to have that uh, aspiration from her as well to receive that, but just also for me to inspire to, kind of, like, push past it, you know, now, at the end of the day, she was never trying to gain notoriety from the French. She knew who her her people were. She knew her people were were back in America. So it was like, how, you know, being part of this project, getting these books out, and then actually creating a TV show, right? It's almost like very, it was not done at the time. And so for, for her, it was very interesting to see how we we talk about it this way about being pivotal to switching the narrative about food, right? The servant list, uh, right? In this case, I I call it this sommelier list, right? I have the same idea with the the people that I talk to. They're not going to have access to sommeliers at the traditional restaurants that I eat at often. Maybe they can afford to go to a restaurant that has an actual full-time sommelier on staff, but most of the time, that's not the restaurants they eat at. So They need to be empowered on how to order like I did, like how I felt when I was in Italy, you know, I lack that. And how do I get them to understand and kind of, most of the people know even what to say about the wine, but they feel like, oh, I thought that was going to be wrong. You know, so just giving people the confidence when I, I learned this a lot during my virtual tastings and like, Someone would say the exact note I was thinking or that that I wrote down, but they just thought, I I couldn't imagine that that can be a note that would come from this wine. Like they don't understand, you know, the complexity of it. Like I I was smelling jalapeno on that Sauvignon Blanc, but that didn't make sense to me. That's what they was, you know, that's what they say afterwards. I'm like, that's exactly the note that you're getting. And then I explain why, you know, you get such a green bell pepper jalapeno note from these styles of Sauvignon Blancs, especially because of a term we use called paracines that give that off to the, to this particular grape. But the idea is that we hold ourselves back because of the confidence that we think we lack. So, you know, doing more to work for the sommelier list is for me to be able to make them feel like, you know, just go out there, like trust your palate. You know, what you've taste, what you smell is all valid. You know, And so I feel like that is something that I relate to in the way that Julia's approach to food for the servant Like, you know, the idea is like, hey, I know you may not have all these people helping you put these dishes together, but you can attack this at home and giving people that same kind of confidence to home cooks, um, you know, for people to kind of dive deep into a cuisine style that was considered luxurious or very you know high brow and and actually bringing it home to everyone so i hope that everyone feel like they can have a nice decent stash of wines for the summer um after hearing this podcast you know kind of like knowing where to go or even just like when they work with me they feel better on like how to make the selections for their own palette not because that's what the big wine magazines are telling you to buy you know or this is it was rated this Points by somebody, you know, that you felt like this is the style, you know, but also understanding what quality is and what how to identify that in the wine as well, you know, and, and then you'll be able to feel more. No, I think
2: about that's a order. terrific Julia moment, and I think something that Julia why her. Her story is so inspiring because she seems like the least likely person to speak French really well and to do that. But I think her example was really is to always be learning and what you're advocating for. And right, The whole irony right. is people go to a fancy restaurant and they feel like they have to impress the sommelier. But the whole point of having a smellier is they know more than you and they don't mind yeah. if you don't know anything. They want to tell right. you their expertise. They did the wine list, right? So exactly. the irony is people... Feel like they need to know all this stuff when apps actually knowing nothing and just being ready to learn is 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 just fine.
3: Exactly, I like that. You know, I, I think that what you what you said is right. The irony of it all, right? You're not, but I think it is also because we've gotten to a point where that's how some ways treat people. You know, I think that that idea of the guests coming in with all this knowledge it didn't come from nowhere it came from having bad hospitality experiences where they were uh discriminated against we just talked about some stereotypes earlier or people would you know think they would have no idea what we're talking about just from my own experience you know as a sommelier in restaurants where people do not know who I am and how they treat me when I ask for certain wines and you know like they're so impressed. No, like, that's true. I'm but, speaking I'm, like, I'm speaking of that from a wanted, white man's wanted,
2: perspective where there's less scrutiny on like, well, is this person meant to be here? When it's very I that's really good.
3: Exactly. But I just, you know, I thought we should definitely make sure that the the reasons why people feel like they need to come in with all this information is because they have been treated unfairly during their hospitality experience with sommeliers. And so, uh, you know, I call it palate discrimination. So the idea of people of color, women, young people, they're just confused on how you know anything about Yeah, why would you pop, know that? This right? is so, not your space <laughs> to be in. So I why think would you're, you order you're that?
2: really this great leader exactly. for democratizing that space. So I I so appreciate you joining us and and sharing all your knowledge with us. Thank you.
3: Thank pleasure. you. pleasure. And thanks, thanks for
2: everyone me. for joining us. To keep up with Cha and all her wine experiences, she's at Cha underscore squared on Instagram and it's at Cha Squared LLC on Facebook. You can go to Chaw McCoy, it's mcco com, and click on events for more info on all those projects she talked about. And you can check out Cha's Julia inspired wine pairings in the latest issue of Cherry Bomb Magazine. You can order your copy at cherrybomb.com. We're looking forward to our Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, August 15th celebration of Julia's birthday, featuring a virtual discussion with the Oscar-nominated filmmakers of RBG. We'll be getting the details about their new movie, the first full-length documentary about Julia's life and impact. To register, go to sbc.events and follow at sbculinaryexperience on Instagram. For all the latest from the foundation, It's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer of the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorny. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Joya's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.